Hey, this is Andy Jenkins with the Warrior Hope Podcast. Now, in this episode of the Warrior Hope Podcast, we're actually talking to my friend, Ginger Branson. Ginger is a Desert Storm veteran, which is relative to this talk, and she's also a member of Mensa. Now, Mensa is that organization for people with really high IQs. That's probably going to figure into this talk in some way. Anyway, Ginger is a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel who served in Desert Storm with the 251st Evacuation Hospital uh, from January of 1991 through May of 91. And during the 16 weeks that the 251st Evac Hospital was operational in Saudi Arabia, they admitted, get these numbers, 2,250 patients. They performed 428 major operative procedures and they recorded, catch this number, 36,374 outpatient visits. They were told, unofficially at least, that they were the busiest hospital in the theater of war. Now, Ginger took a unique background to the Army. She actually began as a civilian nurse, and in her own words, a couple months before we recorded this, we were at a Songs of Hope. Songs of Hope is an event that Crosswinds produces about twice a year where we match veterans with singer-songwriters from the Nashville area predominantly. The veteran tells the story, the singer-songwriter puts that story to music, and out comes something incredibly beautiful. Now, I'm gonna put links to our YouTube channel to some videos that feature Ginger uh, and Leslie, who was a singer-songwriter. I'm gonna put those to where you can watch that and learn more. As Ginger was telling her story, she actually said this, that she was a nurse in civilian world before she became a nurse in the Army. And in her words, I hated it, but then she served in the Army and she just loved it. We're going to discuss why and what the difference was in this conversation. Also, we're going to talk about some other realities about living amidst a what would be a strange culture. For instance, why did the women walk behind the men in Saudi Arabia instead of in front or next to the men? And I'll tell you this, it's not what she initially thought and it took that proverbial walking a mile in someone else's shoes to actually understand let me use this word the beauty of what was actually transpiring another question what why did the men there what did they do when they married multiple women now ginger says it's it's not initially what i thought at all and even though i wouldn't do it actually getting up close and personal and knowing those people it helped me understand something radically different. Now we also talked through some of the deeper issues like what was really happening with refugees, what did they do when the war was over, and then how Ginger reintegrated into civilian life. Now Ginger is, and you're gonna catch this as you listen to her talk, this is my impression. She is a person full of life, energy, she is a joy bomb. She's content, she's happy, and it oozes to everyone that's around her. But I think, personal impression, that that comes because she's realized through life experience that there is so much to be thankful for. And she's seen just how important the people around you truly are. You see, it's easy to take things for granted until you see the world and see the other side of the story. Many times we realize that things are better than we thought at first glance, 
we realize that there's so much that we possess that we've taken for granted. Now, Ginger has a combined service in the U.S. Army and in the Reserve of 22 years. So in that time and since then, she's met a lot of people, walked with a lot of people. And in this talk, she's going to offer a list of resources and organizations who are ready to assist veterans. So I'd say this, if you're a military family or if you have a loved one that is in the military, close friend, listen out for mention of AMVETS and the DAV and the American Legion, and you're going to see how many of these organizations have infused all of American culture, everything from Little League sports to things in high school, such as Boy State and Girl State. And then after you listen to these things, look in the show notes because I've put a link there to Ginger's book on Amazon. All right, take a listen. This is my friend, Ginger Branson. Okay, I'm actually in the Crosswinds office here downtown, and Ginger Branson drove through the, it is cold, it is wet, but it's nothing you haven't seen before, right? Absolutely, been there. Okay, so (laughs) I, I met you a couple months ago. Yes. You were in the first group that we did at Hoover Tactical, and before that, I met you at uh it was the farm up outside of nashville yes because we did the first uh-huh. songs of hope yep. and here was something that was remarkable about that story warrior rounds. first warrior rounds and i'm going to put a link down in the show notes where people can hear and see your story in the video that you shot there okay. with leslie um because it, it was an amazing story something that i picked up from you there was that and, and, and i know that like, like people are going well they're going to agree with me they're going to say that sounds like a complete contradiction you said that when you were a young mom, you went into nursing. I want to know about that story because you said you hated it. Like you said, and I, I can remember the expression on your face. You said, and I hated it. That's correct. And, and then you went into the Army. And I loved it. And you were in a medical tent. Okay, so, and I would have thought like a nursing in a hospital, like with walls and a roof and all that would have been better than, I mean, you were in a, you were a MASH unit. Right? Yeah, um, um, combat support hospital. Yeah. Right, so, Same thing. Tell, tell me about that whole story. Like, how did you get into the Army, and why would you even do that? And, and maybe start off with the nursing thing. Okay, well, the nursing thing was an accident. Um, I, was, I was in school at Birmingham Southern College here okay. in Birmingham, and I was struggling with money. I didn't have money to... And so I would stop and uh, school, and I would work a quarter, and then I'd go to school a quarter and work a quarter, go to school a quarter. So this four-year degree is turning into you. <laughs> oh, it was a and nightmare. And it's not because you're part, partying. It's no. Like, well, I, mean, it's, I just you're didn't like have the money. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, I was working at, back, back in the day, it was South Highlands Infirmary. It's now, I think, UAB East or St. Vincent, something or other. But anyway, it's over behind UAB. And um, and the administrator said, Ginger, he was a really old gruff um, Auburn yeah. fan. His his dog said, well, Regal. <laughs> but um, he said, Ginger, you're a damn fool. And I said, well, why? I'm working my butt off for you. And they said, you need to go to nursing school. He said, if you do that, then you can make enough money to do what you want to do to go to school if you want to. So I said, I don't want to go to nursing school. (laughs) And he said, we'll pay for it. And I said, okay. Okay. We'll do. So that's what I did. And that's how I got to be a nurse. It was a means to an end. Okay. Because at the time, your mom 
You have kids? No, 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 not I wasn't. Yet. I was single at the time. Okay, not yet. No uh-uh. kids yet. Okay. No kids yet. All right. So um, anyway, so I did. He paid for it, or South Highlands paid for it, and I went to nursing school. That's how I got to be a nurse. It was totally by accident. And it was a means to an end. Well, what happened was, historically, over the years, I did get some other degrees and yeah. uh, some master's degrees and whatnot, but I never... Oh, you're ultra smart. <laughs> I mean, you got master's... Like <laughs> well, you got PhDs, what you got? I mean, like, we, we, who knew? Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm also a member of Mensa. Um, you're a member of Mensa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, jeez. Um, anyway. No, so, i got to go back to that. What okay. kind of IQ do you have to have to be in Mensa? Not that high. I think mine's like 133. Yeah, and everybody like is listening. It's to top 5%. Like, so top it's not, 5%? Yeah, it's not any big Top, top 5% is like world class. <laughs> well, okay. I was smarter when I was younger. Everybody's listening <laughs> to this and going, uh... I was smarter when I was uh, younger. Okay, that's not I've that dumbed big down over the years. <laughs> Got wiser, but no less. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So wiser, but no less. Okay. So anyway, Mensa comment. You got all these other degrees. So I got these degrees, and so, but I could never, I never could get a job that paid as much as nursing pay. Okay. So you kind of stuck. So I was stuck. Ended up being stuck my whole life. But anyway, so I hated it. I did not. It's like, um, it's like being a waitress in a really sleazy restaurant except you don't get tips okay now there are a lot of people that love nursing yeah <laughs> but you didn't so tell me Did why not. what talked about the because that's a strong metaphor right there that your experience wasn't no it wasn't good, good ever well I, I say ever the very last job I had in speaking life was very good. So what, talk to me about the nursing, like paint the picture of it. Okay, well, you go into work and it's uh, some ungodly hour, either that you go to work or you get off. It's okay. either at 6.30 in the morning that you go to work or get off, or it's 11.30 at night when you get off or go to work. I mean, it's just... It just flips the schedule. Yeah, I mean, it's just bad hours. Um Patients who are always in pain, complaining, you never do anything fast enough, you never bring them what they need when they want it. Um, they're, you're you know, dealing with people's bodily fluids all the time. Then on the other hand, if you work day shift, come to work at 6.30 in the morning, you're dealing with doctors yelling at you and de- demanding stuff. And I don't know, it, it just was wasn't for me. No. All right, so you, you do it. You know, you're stuck because you're I'm stuck. making money. you got a family, all yeah, this at yeah. that time. you got to pay for the... Yeah, by then bills, I had a family. And so and it's, yeah. yeah. And I know there's a lot of people listening right now that probably feel that same thing. Like, I mean, everybody's felt stuck in a job or something yeah. somewhere at some time. What's the entry to leave that and go to the Army? Um, I had a friend who I had known in high school, but she turned into an Army recruiter. And so she was over at my house one day and said, why don't you join the Army? And I said, I can't imagine anything worse. And she said, no, no. She said, you've got all these degrees. You can come in as an officer. You don't have to go to basic training and all that. did have to go to officer basic. Okay. Is that different than normal basic? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Somewhat. I mean, you're still out in the woods and you're still... But you're learning. um, You're learning how to tell the different ranks. Yeah. You're learning how to put up a pup tent. You're learning uh, how to weapons qualification, how to shoot a weapon. Had you shot one before then? 
Oh, yeah, I was raised in the country. Okay. So <laughs> you could probably spit, chew, and all that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and beat you on the IQ test. Okay. So you do all the training and all the officer qualification and everything. So, yeah, so, and that was so much fun. And I said, this is the life for me. I love it. You're like at summer camp. Yeah, okay. exactly, yes. And so, um... Initially, I joined the reserves, the Army Reserve, and I was in a um, field hospital down in Tuscaloosa, and they were serious about their training. And when you go for your weekend drill, it was usually three instead of two weekends, and then summer um, where you went for your two weeks was usually three weeks instead of two. And I just ate it up. I mean, it was... So you started looking forward to these times. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'd spend my, my month... <laughs> in, Everybody else is like, as oh, an indentured. I got to go this weekend. And you're like, oh, I'm, I, get to, I, get I get to go. I get to go this weekend, yeah. I was an indentured servant, see, indentured <laughs> for most of the servant. month. And so... But on those weekends, it was freedom. And it was... I don't know. The people were different. The people we had a real camaraderie about us that we that I did not have in nursing. Okay. Nursing was kind of cutthroat. Kind of, I don't want this patient, so you have to take them. Oh gosh, that means I got to deal with that doctor too. I mean, it was just horrible. Okay. But anyway, so we we would you know go out to Fort McClellan or or somewhere Camp Shelby. We would set up our GP large tents that we slept in. Um, after a while, after a few years, we even got cots for our tents. So that was fun. Um, but we, we did things like we set up our field hospital out there, and then we would have what, the, what you call moulage. We would have um, evaluators who would make people their people up as patients, okay. different kinds of wounds and... We learned about NBC. We learned about chemical and biological weapons. What's NBC? Uh, nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons. Okay. That, and, and we learned what to do if you're hit with any of that stuff. Yeah, because if you get hit, like, you got to take care of the patients and yourself. And yourself. you got both. Correct. Okay. Exactly. So, but we did that, and we, um, one thing I really enjoyed was actually formation and marching. Um, have you ever, uh, I th I, the thing I would equate it to is line dancing, where you have a group of people and they're all doing the same step at the same time, or a square dance. So this isn't just forward marching. No, no. This is it, way yeah. more to it. Oh, way this more to it. choreographed. Choreographed, okay. exactly. But it's like a square dance. You have a caller, you have a leader who's telling you what to do and when to do it, and and it's an ensemble. Is, it's it, a dance. is it random or is it like, like they're giving you commands? Like, they're giving you commands. So, but it's not, not like a set set order that's scripted. It's like they're no, no. It's not scripted. They're so you don't know what's next. You don't know this what's is, next. Okay, but you learn that you have a one, two, three count yeah. after they say to the rear march, and then it's one, two, and you to the rear march. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like a choreographed dance. I loved that. It's like military aerobics. Yeah, it is. We called it drilling ceremonies. Okay. And so I really enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed teaching. I always really wanted to be a teacher was what I wanted to be. But I could never, once I got, got my family and all, I could never quit work long enough to practice teach. Right. 
So I did get a master's in education, but I was never able to. And then, on the other hand, also, I couldn't afford to be a teacher. Right. Yeah, you got a family. <laughs> I yeah, got a family. Got I got a support. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, my life has been just miserable. No, I'm kidding. No, yeah, nobody would look at you and say your life is miserable because Ginger always has this beaming smile. Like, nobody feels sorry for you, right? I was kidding about that. But it does show you, like, sometimes when somebody has a very outgoing, exuberant personality, that there may be things that they're carrying that you don't see, that Um, they're doing the best they can on a lot of levels. Because, you know, when I look at you, I I would think, oh, man, this, this woman has always just been a joy bomb. But the reality is you might have looked like that, but simultaneously you can feel joy and also be carrying some stuff. Yeah, um, the happiest day, I guess, aside from when my children were born, (laughs) um, was the day I retired from civilian nursing. Okay. And I have been a ball of joy ever since then. (laughs) Okay, so when you're in the reserves, you're still a civilian nurse. Yes, because yeah. you, you got a full-time job. So got a full-time job. What, describe the, the transition from that chapter of civilian to retiring as a civilian nurse and going into the chapter with the Army full-time. Um, that didn't happen. What happened was I was activated for Operation Desert Storm oh. in 1990. And so I was now active duty Army. Okay. And we went to Desert Storm, and we um, I was with the... 251st Evac Hospital, and that was, uh, I don't want to say it was an awesome experience, because it wasn't. Because it's war, yeah. It was war. But the the, the lessons I learned, the people I met, the lifelong uh, relationships I formed, and um, we saw some horrors there. Yeah. that I probably, it's, it's like my brother said when we went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, when we came out, he said, can I unsee what I've just seen? And that was how, how the uh, desert storm was. I wished when I got home that I could unsee and unhear some of the things that I had seen and heard. So maybe not an awesome experience, but maybe a meaningful, deep. A meaningful, deep, I mean, yeah. truly life-changing. It was, Like people yes. say life-changing, like, oh, I went on this week-long trip somewhere. Oh, life-changing. You know, totally different degree. Of, yeah, different degree. Not like watching a movie or reading a book. I mean, this is, a, this is something that stays with you, that transforms you. Yes, and and for the good and for the bad. Okay, don't get me okay, wrong both. here. Okay, um, describe we, some of the well, let me, good first. I will. We um, we were stationed in a Saudi Arabian, well, on a Saudi Arabian military post, and in a Saudi Arabian hospital. Okay, so we had a lot of interaction with the Saudis. Um. And we learned, we have been told, for example, we've been told before we went, um, you can't wear white underwear because white is a religious color, a sacred color. And so, you know, the the men wear white and that's whatever. So um, I had somebody dye all my white underwear. <laughs> it turned out because of the different fabrics, it turned out like beige and tan and brown and it's whatever. All over the map. All over okay. the map. But I said, I got the prettiest underwear. I mean, now all that stuff's all, like, that, all that stuff's in style, right? And so, <laughs> well, it, for some reason. You're a trendsetter. Well, I, a trendsetter, but I was also a rule follower. I said, oh, we can't have white underwear. Can't have white. Like, 
who would know what color my underwear is? Right. That didn't occur to me before I yeah, left. So maybe I'm not as smart as we think we are. You're not street smart yet. You were <laughs> book smart at that point. I was point. book smart at that Still point. Still waiting to pick up the street smarts. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So anyway, we got to, got over there, and, and our interactions with the Saudis totally changed my viewpoint of the Muslims and the Saudis and what we thought and had been taught, because we were kind of fearful of them. But come to find out, <laughs> like, for example, how they treat women. You know, you know, women are second-class citizens and whatnot. Well, no, not at all. Well, they are by a certain sect, but you're saying that's just a certain sect. That's not... We became friends with a couple of Saudi pilots okay. who had actually been to school over in the United States, went to college over here. Okay and had gone back home. And so we, we talked with them at length a lot of times. And what they said was this. They said, no, our women are very important to us. And they are treated almost as a, um, a crown, a, a trophy. I mean, that's just like Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. Yeah. He says the woman is the crown of creation. Yeah, and okay. so that's what they said. And I said, well, you always walk ahead of them, and they have to kind of follow you around. He said, that's for safety. He said, we always precede them because we keep them safe. Which is and very said, different. You could be I seeing said, well, the exact same thing with one perspective. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. Yes, I'm going to step in front of the woman. A lot of sense. So, And that's that's what they said and said, um, uh Oh, I, I asked them about having multiple wives. You know, we hear, you know, like Mormons, they go, no. but anyway. And um, they said, if, if, but we do that because there are more women than men. And said, we provide, if you can afford it, you provide for two women and you give them the same thing. If you give one a house, you got to give the other one a house. If you give one, a gold bracelet, you got to get the other one a gold bracelet. So they are equal as far as their um, their uh, status in the family. They're equal. And they wear their entire um, uh, fortune on their bodies. They, they wear all this black stuff, but when they raise their sleeves up, I mean, they are gold, and I'm talking about like 24 karat gold all up and down their arms and around their necks. So a lot of stuff hidden underneath the A lot of stuff hidden and, under okay. there. I'm talking probably hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, <laughs> gold hidden under those black uh, robes that they wear. Okay, so that there's lots of lessons there, even on, on that perspective where you see somebody else, even if you don't agree with what they do, or you go, oh, golly, there's... Like, you could judge all of that incorrectly and not ever see the person's heart. Exactly. One thing that happened to me that, that, I, that I actually wrote an article about back in the day, um, we had a patient. I was the um, head nurse on medical intensive care unit. And so we had a lot of people that had had strokes and breathing difficulties because of the dust and, and different kinds of things like that. Yeah. But we had one um, Saudi, an old, we, we saw the civilian population also, as well as the multinational forces. So we had an older Saudi citizen who had been, um, he had had a heart attack. And so he was up on our intensive care unit and he was hooked up to the monitors 
Well, they pray five times a day, and they have to get in the floor and kneel to do that. So every time it got to be prayer time, he would rip off his, his you know, monitor leads and get in the floor and go to praying. And we would go in there and say, no, no, no. He didn't speak English, so we had to speak sign language. And so he said, we would say, no, 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 get back in bed and indicate, you know, get back in the bed. And he would continue to pray. Well, finally, when prayer was over, he'd get back in the bed. And we'd hook him all back up and everything. So it was worrisome because we were afraid he was going to die because he was ripping off his leads. And yeah. So anyway, in the afternoons, in the afternoons, he would say, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. And I would say, what? I don't know. I don't speak uh, Arabian. So yeah. anyway, finally... He got up out of his bed, and I was just shaking my head. I don't know what you mean. He got up out of his bed and ran to our little kitchenette that we had off the nurse's station. And I was saying, you can't be in here. You can't be in here. And he found some tea, tea bags in the cabinet. And that was what he wanted was chai. Yeah, chai, whatever. So, So from then on, every afternoon, I would fix him a cup of tea. But we would have conversations strictly through sign language. You know, I'd make a sign like I was carrying a baby and ask him how many, you know, using my fingers. And he would tell me two or three. And but but we just talked about our families all through sign language. Oh, wow. Okay, so he was there about a week. So when he left, they came and got him in a wheelchair. And um, and I said goodbye to him, you know, and. And uh, went to shake hands with him because you can shake hands with them, but we had to touch our male patients because we were nurses. But um, anyway, he um, he handed me when I shook hands with me with him. He handed me his prayer beads, and he said, "Thank you," in English. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I was blown away. <laughs> that oh, was wow. that was just such a marvelous heartwarming just that that was what nursing's about yeah the connection with the <laughs> with the people with the people yeah and you know serving and yeah ministering or whatever word that you, you don't use, get that here in the states in some hospital somewhere how was it ministering serving nursing soldiers because uh, you you had u.s soldiers yes uh, we did yes we did oh my goodness that was that was hard. It was hard. We had soldiers that that died. We had soldiers that we knew would never um, regain consciousness. We had people with such brain injuries that they would never be able to walk or talk or see or hear. Because um, you're dealing with trauma yeah. for the most part out there. It's not no small things. It's no, at some point they took us, they closed down our MICU and took us over to the burn unit. Oh, that was that was hard. Um, like I said, we were in a Saudi military hospital. So the Saudis got to say, it, you know, we're going to open or close this unit or that unit. But there was a K team out of San Antonio that had come. They were a burn team. What is a K team? It's a specialized... Um, medical team that and these were burn specialists okay and they had gone over to this state-of-the-art burn unit that the Saudis had 
and had operated that unit for about a, a month. And then as the, um, as the patients began to dwindle, they went on back home to San Antonio. And so no more burn specialists. So here we were, medical intensive care. We had to go over there and do you burn You got to figure patients. it out, do what yeah, you can. Do what you can. And that wasn't our specialty. Did you find that, um, okay, so the, the, the stereotype I have from medical stuff in the Army is what I've seen on MASH. That's it. And all of the patients are there. There's, uh, well, all the soldiers, there's this high level of camaraderie, yep. even between the doctors and the patient. Um, because sometimes those patients outrank those doctors. Oh, yeah. And they're all family. Like, they've all been, they're all in this war together. That's it's just right. some of them are on the front lines, some of them aren't, some are back, you know, communications, whatever. So there's this whole different level of, is that how it is out there? Because, like, in the U.S., you go to your doctor, and the stereotype is, and I, and I know this is the stereotype, my doctor doesn't listen to me. He tell you know, is it No, it's not a stereotype. It's the truth. Is there a... Well, I hated nursing. What are we... I mean, tell me about, like, what... Like, describe the environment. Not not necessarily, like, the wounds, but the environment, the culture of those military hospitals. It is, it is very similar to MASH. Okay, aside from, of course, there's a lot of exaggeration yeah yeah of course but yeah there's a lot of camaraderie there are people that I was there with that I still am friends with and see on a regular basis you know Um, you guys pranking each other like on mash (laughs) not so much that but um, uh, like like when we went out to um, there was some point not too long before we came home that we had heard about desert diamonds and what desert diamonds really are is pieces of kind of refined quartz okay. that sit out in the desert. And if you go at daylight, the sun, as it's coming up, reflects off of them and they shine. And so you can go and pick them up. This is just out in the Saudi desert. Just go grab it. Yeah, just go grab it. And um, But you can, you can have them cut and polished, and they do look like diamonds. We saw some jewelry okay. that was made. One of the doctors had some, one of the Saudi doctors had some jewelry that was made from um, desert diamonds, uh, from the quartz. So anyway, we all decided we were going out at daylight. Well, doctors, nurses, um, we had a few, you know, techs and sergeants that went with us. We just got kind of a little crowd of about 15 people. We all go out in the desert at daylight. But one of the doctors, who was actually out of Huntsville, Alabama, and, and he got all involved. He, he wasn't as interested in the desert diamonds as he was in these little insects that live in the desert. So we'd look around, and there he'd be on his hands and knees looking at these little insects that stand up on two legs. You're when holding your hands threatened. up big like insect. You're holding up like... <laughs> well, they, no, like, it's about, they were about an inch like long. Like an inch long. That's a huge insect. It was That's a huge a... insect, but they had six legs, so there is. But anyway, like roaches or something. But they'd stand up on their back legs, yeah. and, and they had these round wings that they would spread to, to make them look <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> intimidating, but he was just all fascinated. Remember that 1991 was before we had cell phones. Yeah, you've so. got to spend time with people. You can't just yeah, you can't just uh, well the other on a thing social feed. is that you can't just take a few pictures here and there. Right. Know? 
So any picture you take is going to have to be developed, and then you got to wait and whatever. Yeah, whatever. It takes and time. film costs money, developing costs money. So back then, you know, you were careful what you took pictures of. Yeah. I did take a picture of one of these insects, though. <laughs> one. So, one, yeah, one. Um, did you find that, like, if you go to the hospital here, you know, s- s- patients are in different rooms, and but if you go there, like, are you guys all in the same? In the in the Saudi hospital, we weren't because okay. it was a, a fixed it's facility. It's a fixed facility. But all around us and in the field hospital that I had come from, it, it that's correct. They're all intense. So do you find the the, the patients like actually help each other? They or, do. Or is, oh, they that, do. Because that would be different than a hospital here. Oh, absolutely different. I don't think they would even be allowed to help each other here. But there they do help each other. I mean, it's just natural. It comes natural to yeah. them. You know, you say to the person next to you, I'm fixing to go get me a, a drink of water. You want something? Yeah, bring me whatever. And, yeah, they help each other. They help each other back and forth to the mess hall. They help each other, you know, in and out of so bed. They're carrying they, each other, oh, whatever, yeah. doing yeah, whatever they, they do. do. Um, and, I, and I imagine like the patients probably different because like these are these are warriors, so they are probably more fit taking care of themselves. Well, they are. Is that, I mean, they are. It, but but once you have a leg shot off or whatever, then you've got to have help. Yeah. Right. So, well, tell me what else. Like you said, there were you were changed by the experience for the good, and also for the bad. What would be some of the things that you would say? Well, this this wasn't so good. Um, it, the I guess there were two or three things, but the worst thing that happened to me, the worst thing I saw, I guess, being a mother and all, and when I went over there, I had, you know, my children were like um, first and third grade, so I had left behind. They're little. They're little. Um, after the war had um, kind of toned down a little bit, there were still a whole lot of Iraqi and Kuwaiti refugees in Saudi Arabia that had escaped. And the Saudis were putting them up in these big um, buildings, Butler buildings of some sort, on their uh, military post. Kind where like we warehouses. Were. Yeah, like warehouses. But they, I mean, they had... Um, facilities and all, but they also were feeding them and whatever. But as time was going by, it was time for them to go home. I mean, they can't just live there. Can't live on a military base forever. Can't be squatters there forever. So they were getting um, buses. Saudis were loading up buses full of them and taking them back over where they came from. And in this one um, warehouse that I was part of for we we provided a medical care were all Iraqi refugees mostly women and children and a few old men that had escaped Saddam Hussein and gotten to Saudi Arabia which is right next door well they were loading them up and taking them back over there well they didn't want to go they were fearful for their lives which was legitimate because most of them would never make it past where they were let off they were killed almost instantly when they got there. But that was Saudi business. It wasn't ours. We were just doing our bit. Well, one day, I was coming to work over there, and I saw a bus being loaded in the front of the building. And there was a Saudi soldier with a weapon who was kind of loading these women and children, forcing people on the bus. And they were all crying this 
this well that they do that I can't do, but it's oh, 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 oh. it's just soul-wrenching. But they were getting on the bus, and they were trying to leave their children behind, and then the Saudis would push their children Can you imagine, up. like, what would cause a mom to leave a child behind? Because they knew. That she may never see again. Like, knowing, like, hey, this is... This is not, I'm leaving kids and I'm going no. to be deployed. This is like, I'm leaving kids I'm leaving forever kids forever because, because I will be killed and I want and them I to live. Them, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I mean, can't imagine. life or death thing. Well, finally, this one lady was forced on the bus. She had an infant in her arms. So she goes to the back of the bus. I could see her walk down the aisle in there. And there opened a window toward the back of the bus. And another lady comes out of the building and goes around to the back of the bus and she throws her baby off the bus to this lady. And the baby catch is caught like a yeah, football. Yeah, well it just drops. Yeah, just, I mean it's like, like he no, 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 yeah, just like yeah, hands her off to her. And so the the woman who had come out kind of bundles the baby up and tries to rush back into the building with the baby. Hide the baby. Hide the baby. This is like Moses in the basket type yeah, exactly, stuff. Exactly. Exactly is... Moses in the basket. So, but the guard saw her and stopped her and wouldn't let her back in the building and wrenched that baby from her. And so when that happened, the lady on the bus, whose baby it was, was coming toward the front of the bus, again, still wailing and crying. And, and the guard who had wrenched the baby from her kind of did kind of throw it at her. She was only like a foot away and, and was fighting to try to get the soldier off the lady who had the baby. I mean, it was like, leave my baby alone, let him, let him, yeah, let him take stay a shot. here. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, he gave the baby back to her and pushed her back on the bus. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, man, that was one of the things that I said, I wish I could unsee what I just saw. Because my heart was breaking for her and for all the women on there. Yeah. So... Wow. I know that's the story, but <laughs> I don't know how much time we got here. No, we're, we're good on time. <laughs> but it's, it was... So, what I was... I cried. I cried. I imagine that marked most of the people who were with you in some sense. It did. I'm sure it did. Um, the, thing, the thing that I have said is that we were not directly involved in combat. We didn't go out shooting people. Yeah. Um, and our lives were not in danger. We weren't ever afraid of getting shot like a lot of your um, infantry veterans are. But what we saw was a lot more humanitarian side of, of war. Yeah, you see We those. saw the results of the combat and the people who were injured but we also saw that other side, that that civilian side, that that just I don't even know how to describe. Yeah, you got it. how it's affecting the soldiers. Yeah, and then you have how it's affecting the people. The people, that are the actual people, not the soldiers that are living living in through it. Yeah, a war torn area. Exactly. How do you so so what what is the what is your exit from from the army? Like when, when did you leave? When did you come back to be? But I know you're always the soldier. But when did you come back to be a, you know, a civilian? Civilian, okay. Well, when the war was over, I came back. I had left a job here in home health. Okay. I was home health nurse by that time. And so I, I liked it okay. I was director of nursing in a home health agency in Birmingham. And when I got back, I had been gone six months. So 
uh, and that's not so long considering how long our veterans, infantry and people are gone now, or were gone for Vietnam or whatever. Right. But anyway, it was a long time for me. I was glad to be back with my children. Anyway, I got back, and my job had changed. It was like one of those science fiction things, <laughs> stories. When I got back, the person that I had left in charge of my job, because you know they have to give you a job when you come yeah, back. Yeah, they got to hold it. That's the mm-hmm. law. Well, he had left the agency, and somebody else was there that I did not know in my job. But the administrator, who had been there for four or five years, had also left, and Santa Claus was there. So when I called to tell them I was home and ready to come back to work, the the uh, front desk person the that I did not know that was new too. She said, well, just a second, I'll let you speak with Santa Claus. And I said, oh, well, excuse me, Legit? what? She says Santa yeah. Claus? Yeah. Okay, I thought you were talking about a guy that looks like Santa Claus. But you're saying... He thought he was Santa she Claus. She says Santa Claus is here. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I talked to Santa, and he said, well, I'll meet you for lunch. You and went we'll by come. the name Santa? Yes. Okay, you call this guy. He, this guy says, I want to be... Like S. It, Claus. Like when Mr. I, Claus. Like when I, you introduce yourself, you oh, I'm Ginger. Yeah. But this is, well, okay, he's, S. Yeah, Claus. S. Claus. Okay. All right, so mm-hmm. he said, well, why don't we meet for lunch and we can talk about, you know, how we've changed the agency and whatnot since you've been gone. I said, well, okay. Met him for lunch, and sure enough, he's got this huge white beard, this long white hair, and he's wearing a red sport coat and a white shirt. He's parked in the parking lot, and and he's got this red car. I was going to say, it's got to be a red something. It's a red car. It's a red convertible with white top, and his license tag says Slay. Are you, are you making this up? No, Okay, because, I mean, this sounds like... I'm in the twilight zone. I mean, this zone. sounds like you've been really serious this whole time no, we've no. been talking, but all of a sudden, like, this is... Uh, this can't be real. It was twilight zone for me. I mean, really. I'm saying, <laughs> you're, like, you're like, what happened to the U.S. while I was gone? This, this, is, <laughs> this I mean, it's just bizarre. So he showed me his driver's license, and I'm sure it was a made-up, but it looked just exactly like a driver's license, and it said Santa Claus, born, you know... I forget what it said, but it was it was like he wasn't born. He was just... Um, <laughs> he was eternal. Eternal, he was something his. like that. And I said, <laughs> lived at the North Pole. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, I turned in my notice that day. <laughs> and I went home and told my husband, i got to find another job fast. Did he, he, didn't, want, did he didn't want to hire you? or you're Oh, just, yeah. No, no. He wanted me. Okay. You're just like, this is just so bizarre. The, the administrator... Here's what had happened while I was gone. The administrator I left had only stayed there about another month. Okay. And then some woman took his place. So it did change a lot. It, it went changed a lot of two or three times. Yeah. yeah. So when Santa got there, he told me there was a suicide note in the drawer from the woman that had been there. And she couldn't cut it, I guess. And so he found this suicide note. But he called and she was okay. So he wanted to check on her. Oh, wow. And I said, oh, man. I, I said, hey, too much drama for me. So, so you're out. All right. So you go So you go tell your husband. you got to change jobs. I got to. Uh, yeah, I got to. <laughs> this isn't working for me. So what happened? I don't want to work at the North Pole. So I, I did. I put turned in a two-week notice. And practically nothing had been done while I was gone. The charts, patient records were just a total mess. And so I spent the two weeks trying to just straighten out what all had not been done while I was gone, best I could. Get it in order, yeah. Yeah. 
And then in two weeks, I, by that time, I had found another job and I moved. So, so that's uh, that's kind of the story. So you're involved in a lot of veterans organizations now. Yes, I love and it. And I guess kind of as we you know wrap up, like give me the give me the highlight reel of that stuff. Okay, when I when I first retired, I went up to Huntsville to have my retirement uh, card made and all that. And the lady up there said, one thing you need to do, well, two things. She said, first of all, register with the VA. And second of all, join some organization. This is retiring from being a soldier. Yes, from from the Army. Said, you you need to do two things. You need to register with the VA and you need to join some organization, some veteran service organization so you can keep up. They'll have publications and all that that you can keep up with what's going on okay in your retirement so that I joined MOA Military Officers Association of America what was your rank a uh, lieutenant colonel okay when I Good when because we just call you ginger yeah I'm just ginger we call you LT <laughs> LTC <laughs> so um anyway I joined MOA and uh, loved it uh, MOA is, all your different veteran service organizations have different missions, okay? Um, so there are a ton of them. There are a ton and of them. You say there are a whole do, ton like, of them. But I'm only a member of like five of I'm them. I'm going to list in the show notes. So you talked at one of the Centers of Hope and gave a rundown of a lot of them. I'm going to list what they yeah, do in the show notes. For and and that's the thing. That. They all have a different mission. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Veterans don't understand and civilians really don't understand. So a veteran that's listening to this, or even you know the wife or husband of a veteran that's listening yeah. to this, should kind of latch onto that and go, hey, maybe they need to get into something, but don't just look at the something. Look at, hey, what are they doing? Because they, they all what have are a, they? They all have a different mission, a and different there may be thing something that, that they you do. Are drawn to? Yeah. Okay. Uh, officers of military MOA MOAA is. Um, they're mostly a lobbying group. They lobby for um, veterans' benefits and stuff like that. They're not political, but they are, um, like I said, they lobby and, and donate to veterans' um, benefits okay. and different things for veterans. Um, and they I mean, have great speakers the- at their meetings. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense because the officers who are leading the soldiers, oh, well, now, okay, wait, we we got to take, because that's one of the big things officers do is want to make sure they take, they care, take of care of their troops. Their tr- yeah, I mean, when, so, yeah. So that's what MOA does. So, so even post-deployment, mm-hmm. post-service, post-duty, yep. continue doing that. Yeah, the um, um, AMVETS and the DAV, the Disabled American Veterans, their biggest mission is r- um, connecting veterans with their benefits. They, their biggest thing is service officers, what they call VSOs, veteran service officers. Well, I had uh, a hamp was on here. Yeah, and I had, he's, he's DAV. He, he, he's yeah. the commander at the DAV yeah. Chapter 4 here right in town, right down the street. And yeah. he told me a lot of his story. And, yeah, but that's what they do is yeah. serve it, or connecting veterans with their benefits. Um, the American Legion, which is, I guess, my baby, <laughs> You're the commander, aren't you? Or what's uh, post nine eleven, Ryan Winslow, post nine eleven in Hoover at Hoover Tactical. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. What What is the uh, the What is the mission there? The American Legion is a hundred years old now, and they're the only one of all of these that was actually chartered by Congress in nineteen nineteen. Oh wow! Post World War One, 
and it was World War I veterans who actually started the um, American Legion. American Legion has four what they call pillars, or four arms of mission, mission arms. It's Veterans Administration and Rehab. They were actually also the ones who started, or who caused to be started, the Veterans Administration. That's and the GI sig- Bill that's a pretty used significant to be uh, veterans dent. something, veterans something, but the GI Bill was also their thing. Um, the children and youth is a big one of their pillars. Includes Boys and Girls State, includes the Artarco contest. A lot of people know that from high school. Yeah, Boys State, Girls State, but don't know the American Legion. Yeah, okay. That is, those are American Legion programs. Boys State is American Legion, and Girls State is actually auxiliary programs. Okay. Okay. The um, uh, uh, baseball. Did you know that over half of all Major League Baseball players played American Legion Baseball? Like from Little League? They yeah. Do, uh, no, I had no idea. Yeah. So like, what's, a, what's a league that they do? Do you know off the top of your head? Well, no. Each post would have a, a team. Oh, they would support oh, a team. Yeah. Okay. So like when you see this team sponsored by... You know, Boy's post 11 or, post, or whatever, yeah. this, you know, pizza shop or whatever, like American Legion. American Legion is its only own, what do you call it, um, oh, um, league. Is its own league. Okay. Wow. Okay. I, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and they, they play in the summertime. They play in the late spring and summer. They're... What do you call the finals and baseball thing? Tournament. The or, world. The World Series. Yeah, the World Series of <laughs> Mensa. <laughs> the World Series of American Legion baseball yeah. occurs in in August before okay. school starts. Yeah, and they give huge scholarships. Oh wow! All of the children's programs, children and youth programs, involve money and scholarships. All so that's of them. huge. It is huge. Um, junior shooting teams. We have junior shooting teams. Again, scholarships. Seems like they're a lot focused on the families, of yes. not just the veterans, but the and their families. The whole family. Absolutely. Because like, when you know veterans deployed, like, that doesn't just affect you; that affects you know you got a first and third grader. That that's affects right. them. That leaves a spouse behind that's now carrying the load that you know two people would have been doing. That's yep. affecting uh, even other extended family. It's so seems like they're they jump in to pick that up. Yeah. The other two p- pillars are national security and Americanism. They do a lot of honor guard for uh, funerals and for, uh, well, like we do flag disposal ceremonies. For Every year, the Bessemer Police Department changes their big flag. Okay. And so we go out there and do their retirement ceremony for their flag. And Most people know you don't know. You don't just throw a flag No, away. you don't. My, fl- my boys were in Boy Scouts, <laughs> and there was a... Several of the military officers invited that troop to go and participate, yeah. and they would, you know, let the boys actually. Oh yeah. Assist in that it was. But there's a little ceremony you do, and you uh, burn it or bury it or yeah, dispose and of it. So the so so I've got veterans administration rehab, children and youth, which includes the baseball and the shooting and uh, national security, and then the honor. Americanism. Americanism. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those overlap. For example, Boys State teaches kids about government, how government runs. They set up a little oh, they set city. Up a and, yeah. whole thing, yeah. And whoever's elected to go to uh, um, Boys National. Right. That. 
there'll be one person from each state go up there. I remember people doing this when I was in high school. I was oh, never yeah. involved in it, but it was a huge, <laughs> huge thing. Yeah. Um, well, as we were in, like, what, what else would you what What else would you say? Like, what's the final word you kind of want to leave off? I mean, what, what do veterans need to know, or what 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 is you, you know? I, I know you have before when I've been leading Centers of Hope um, with with Crosswinds um, as part of that team out at Hoover Tactical. There have been multiple times where you know I've just kind of let you have the floor because we're all discussing and conversing back and forth, and you just kind of taking apart this wisdom as someone who's been there, done it. You know, walking with a lot of. I mean, you know, Proverbs says that a, a gray hair is a crown. Oh. And so, I mean, like, and it legit is. And it, you know, talks about wisdom coming with gray. And, you know, I mean, and that's I've like... I've got I, more wisdom than I used to. I mean, you do. Like, that's what it says. Like, you, you're not expected to have it when you're young. You're, you know, it's it, you don't get it till you have some gray, right? So... You know, what would you say? Like, what's just kind of the final? If you had one, two things If you I had one or two veterans? things to say, it would be this. Do not... The, I'm a big proponent of veteran service organizations, like, like as I just said. Yeah. But, but be The veteran that you're going to help needs to be, and I know this is, might be negative, needs to be vetted. We, there are so many people out there who are just looking for... Um, something for nothing, something for free. I can't tell you how many times I've stopped by the side of the road for homeless veterans holding up signs, and when I stop and pull over and talk to them, come to find out they're not veterans at all. They just got the sign. They just got a sign because veteran is a buzzword. Yeah. Like children. You say, oh, it's for children. Oh, yeah, well, I'll give you money. Right. I'm a veteran. Okay, well, I'll give you money. Be careful. I want people to be careful. For veterans, I want them to know that there is whatever you're dealing with, whatever your demons are, there is help for you. There is help. Just reach out, connect. Reach out and connect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good word. That's a good place to end because I think, you know, as I, I do the intro on this podcast and on the outro every single time, I, I say that I, I think two of the big enemies that veterans face are the second one is always um, that the best days are all in the rearview mirror. No, they're and, not. And there is a great mission that is in the rearview mirror, but there is profound mission in the future. And I, and I see you doing that and oh, yeah. helping tons of people. And the other thing I say is the... And connecting with more people. Well, too. that's the other one. Is the first yeah. one I always say is isolation is enemy number one. Absolutely. And don't fall into that. Mm-hmm. Is connect with some other people. Thank you so much for you know your past service, what you've done as a soldier. And right now, what you do to equip people, to inspire hope, to impart wisdom and knowledge and just joy... And well, thank you for you having do me. It. Uh, <laughs> it, it's amazing. So it, it's my honor to, you know, let you guys experience the the encounter that is Ginger <laughs> no, LTC. LTC. <laughs> That's the first and last time you'll probably ever let me use that. <laughs> LTC Ginger Branson. Thank you, Ginger. Thank you for having me. So that's the talk for today. I would say this, at Crosswinds and with the Warrior Hope Project, one of the things that we really believe is that 
The enemy many veterans face is the idea that they are first of all alone. And many times hearing the stories of other people who have struggled, who've been where you are, felt what you feel, and have done the exact thing that you've done, many times that gives you hope that you too can make it that you are not alone. Second of all, here's the other idea that many people face is that the mission and the best days are behind them. The reality is this, there was an incredible mission behind you and there are some amazing things that you did, but there is still much for you to do, much for you to accomplish. Your training still works and you are valuable. Don't settle now for ordinary when you were created and you are still here for extraordinary. For more information, go to warriorhope.com. All the links for everything here are in the show notes. I'll be back next week with the story of another incredible person. We'll talk to you very soon.